welcome to When to Grow on a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey, and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each episode, we pick an area of agriculture or food production to discuss. And this week, we're focusing on Christmas trees, Christmas trees, Christmas, Christmas trees. <laughs> So today we are going to talk about the agronomic information around Christmas trees, a little bit about the history. This is an episode for all people of all faiths, even if you do not celebrate Christmas. So welcome welcome to the Christmas tree episode, everyone. Welcome, welcome. It's more about trees than about Christmas, right? Yes, absolutely. Except for I hope you are wearing warm, cozy socks wherever you are. I am wearing no socks, but I am wearing my Baby Yoda PJ pants. Totally counts. <laughs> totally counts. <laughs> so, Dad, what do you know about Christmas trees? Um, I know they're trees. Yeah, great, great. I know they're often made of fur. Made of fur. What do you mean made of fur? Well, there's Douglas fur and noble fur and what other other kind of fur trees. Right, so not like cat fur. I mean, I just assumed it's all the same fur, right? It is not all the same fur. <laughs> Definitely not. Okay. I mean, and they're trees. Um, yeah, you said that. So yeah, that's we got. that. I guess okay. that's all I really know. I mean, I've you know, there's usually I guess we have some sort of pine tree as our Christmas tree when we've okay. had Christmas trees. I feel like my grandparents once you know went out into the field and cut down some sort of Christmassy shaped cedar tree. Oh, or, that's so cool. Yeah, or what we call you know cedar trees here in Central Texas. Mm-hmm. Which are actually what ash juniper or whatever. Correct. Yeah, Great work. Go me. And they usually have lovely decorations and some sort of ridiculous, massive thing on top. Yeah. So botanically speaking, Christmas trees are not very specific. They're kind of just generally a conifer. So a conifer could be like you mentioned, fir trees. It could also be pines, spruces, etc. So what the term conifer means is it's within this category of seed plants. So that is all plants that make seeds. So we have within seed plants angiosperms. That's plants that flower. So like an apple tree or a sunflower, anything with a flower on it is an angiosperm. And then you have gymnosperms. And gymno um, means they're doing gymnastics. It does not. It does not mean they're doing gymnastics. Okay. Gymnosperm means naked seed. So sperm meaning seed and gymno meaning naked. Okay. So within gymnosperms, you have a couple of different categories. Ginkgo trees, which we've talked about before, are a gymnosperm. Uh, cycads are a gymnosperm, which are like a kind of palm. And then conifers are also a type of gymnosperm. So that's what like conifer means. It is a cone-bearing plant. It does not have flowers and it makes it makes cones. Okay. So yeah, that's I think cone-bearing was the thing that I had learned in I don't know, elementary or high school or, or somewhere along the way. Um and so but there's a little more to it than that and they bear these these lovely cones and the cones are what contain the seeds. Exactly. Okay. Yes. These trees that we use as Christmas trees don't make flowers. They make instead cones with seeds in them so if you've ever seen like a there's really cool videos on youtube with like a pine cone exploding outwards what which is like when a when a pine cone gets ripe when it's like not ripe but like ready when it's like ready then when it's not ready all of those little edge edge guys are like 
up tight so it kind of looks just like an egg and then when it's ready it kind of just like pops open and all of the seeds kind of shoot out which is a great seed dispersal method and then that's when you get kind of that classic pine cone shape because it kind of just open okay we're putting a link to one of those videos in the show notes because i gotta see this so let's talk about the history of christmas trees so There is a very long tradition of people putting green things in their houses. The Egyptians did it. The Romans did it. The pagans did it. When it's wintertime, it's dark and gross. And there's some green stuff outside. Let's bring it inside and make it nicer inside. We've been doing that for a long time. But the like practice of bringing a whole entire tree into your house started in Germany. The church was putting on plays to educate people about the Bible because people couldn't read very well. So they would put on plays showing stories from the Bible. And the 24th of December was celebrated as like the feast day for Adam and Eve. Not really sure what that means, but they would put on an Adam and Eve play. Within the story of Adam and Eve, there is a tree famously. And so they would bring a tree in from outside as kind of a prop in a play. And they would put, like, red balls on it if they couldn't source any apples. Whoa. Yeah. So that was, like, the first time we started putting trees inside of our houses around Christmas time. Eventually, they started adding candles to these trees and other things. um, And it started looking lovely. And people started thinking, hey, that's nice. I'll just put that in my house. So eventually, it became a German tradition to actually have a tree around the 25th of December. That was around like the 1500s, 1600s. Eventually, people started emigrating from Germany over west to the Americas, and they kind of took that tradition with them, but it didn't really take off until Queen Victoria in 1848. There was an engraving made of Queen Victoria and Prince Albert, who is German. Uh, He's the guy in the can. What? He's the guy in the can. What can? Prince Albert in a can. I don't know what you're talking about, Ted. You've never heard of Prince Albert in a can. Prince Albert in a can? In a can. In a can? Yeah. Why would he be in a... What? It's a joke. You call up a grocery store. You say, do you have Prince Albert in a can? They say yes. And you say, you better let him out. What is... What is... Why would they say yes, though? I don't understand. That's a great question. Um, Oh, it's tobacco. Okay. Well, probably makes sense as to why I've never heard of this weird (laughs) joke because nobody chews tobacco anymore. It's true. I mean, I'm sure some people do, but yeah. I will say I went to school for agriculture and we did have signs around the school saying this is a tobacco free campus. So you can't chew your tobacco or smoke it because, you know, good for them to, to school with, you know, farm folks. And that is not uncommon for some people in some areas of the country. But anyways, Great weird old joke, Dad. Thank you. So, in 1848, Queen Victoria and Prince Albert and their kids, there was an engraving made. It got put in a couple of magazines, and everyone was like, oh, my God, how cool and fashionable. A tree inside the house with candles on it and stuff. So, it became kind of a thing. And then in the 19th century, the electric lobby here in the U.S. pushed for an electrically lit tree in the White House, which kind of brought the tradition here to the U.S., Naturally. Eventually, in the late 50s and early 60s, plastic trees and otherwise non-natural trees came into fashion, which we will talk about later. But that's kind of the brief history of the Christmas tree. Okay. Super brief. Super brief. Yep. Um, really quickly before we went into the mid-roll, 
I wanted to kind of talk to you about your favorite part of a Christmas tree. Oh, wow. Okay. So I used to help my mom decorate the Christmas tree, and it was a lot of fun. And for some reason, there were these two little wooden hand-painted bird ornaments that I always put on the Christmas tree. And I'd always, you know, sort of dig through the ornament box and look for those specific ornaments so I could put them on the tree. I'd try to give them like, you know, find little places where they could have nests in the branches. Oh, wow. That's so cool. Yeah. And then I really pushed hard for blinking Christmas lights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I thought blinking Christmas lights were the coolest. My mom, of course, wanted static white lights. The blinking drove her nuts. But um, I just, for some reason, really loved blinking Christmas lights. And then at some point, we had this giant star on the top of the tree that was basically one big series of concentric circles of blinking lights. And I loved it. I love that. That's awesome. You do also, I th- I don't know when you got this, but had like a little X-wing that plugged into a Christmas light. And so it would like light up different colors. That's true. If I remember correctly. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the engines would light up. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I still got that I somewhere. also used to decorate the Christmas trees with your mom and my sister. And I think my favorite part was always at the very end. So like our Christmas trees over the years got more and more elaborate at one point we were buying like 18 foot christmas trees and doing the entire tree and it was like really intense yeah but my favorite part was always at the very end we would do tinsel and i know it's not very environmentally sound to to be putting strings of plastic on to your christmas tree but we would save it from year to year and so we would like pull it out of this baggie and it would like always have little pine needles from last year in there and we would like sprinkle the tinsel on and it would just look so incredible. This like giant monstrous tree that was just like covered in a bunch of handmade ornaments and like lights and shiny, shiny tinsel. It was my favorite. Okay, so I want to make sure the listener understands here because my first memory of tinsel was, you know, this sort of shiny plastic stuff that was affixed to a string and then you'd sort of drape the string around the tree and, you know, there'd be the the shiny plastic stuff attached to the string and so you'd have tinsel all around the tree now this tinsel to which hallie is referring was just the shiny plastic stuff it was just a bunch of loose tinsel in the bag that they would get up and they would sort of drape all over the tree and then to clean it up they'd have we'd have to you know pick up the individual pieces and i'm sure (laughs) we would lose a little bit each year to sweeping Uh or vacuuming or whatever and then stuff it back in a bag and yeah it was a mess, but it did look pretty cool. <laughs> to be fair, we also had the string kind of tinsel. Like we really went for a maximalist look with our Christmas trees. Yeah, that was like I think we hit peak tinsel one year. I don't know. Dad. Yo. You know what people wear every day? What do people wear every day? Underwear. I mean, we'll say most people. I don't want to speak for everyone. That's fair. Most people, most days. We are in Zoom life, so live your bliss. There are very few societal norms that we all have to follow anymore. It's true. If you like, go commando. But if you don't... If you don't, then you should absolutely check out Nikki. Nikki is a underwear brand that makes underwears from organic fair trade cotton, and it ships in 100% plastic-free packaging. I cannot tell you how happy I am that I don't have to take little baggies to the grocery store and have them recycled there or just worse, put them in the landfill. 
um, into the garbage. That's the worst. So you get totally plastic-free packaging. They are committed to earth-friendly practices across the entire supply chain, as well as beyond the customer's use, because they have a first-of-its-kind recycling program for old undies. This is an amazing sustainable underwear brand. It is so hard to find comfortable, sustainable underwear, in my opinion, and these ones really knock it out of the park. I am such a fan, and you can become a fan too today. If you go to Nikki.com and use the code GROWON at checkout, you can get 10% off. That's K-N-I-C-K-E-Y, and use the code GROWON at checkout. You know who I bet loves comfortable underwear? Or Who's that? Patrons. Our patrons. Especially our Starfruit patrons, Vikram, Lindsay, Mama Casey, Patrick, and Cheyenne. And Cheyenne. We are so grateful for you guys. You do the mostest, the absolute mostest. And we are so, so grateful. And we hope that you guys are having a wonderful day wherever you are. Thank you to each and every one of you. Shall we get back to the episode? Back to the episode. So, Dad, do you have a nature fact for us? So, a figure very often associated with Christmas is, of course, Santa Claus. Sure. But did you know that in the Marvel Universe, Santa Claus is the most powerful mutant, according to Cerebro? What? Yeah. In uh, 1991, uh, they declared that he was an Omega-level mutant with abilities that included immortality... Weather manipulation, molecular manipulation, immunity to cold and heat, and gravity manipulation. Which, if you think about it, he's going to have to be able to do all that stuff to get around the world and deliver those presents. Honestly, I love that. Like, there's this, there's this very, very powerful person, and all he wants to do with his big, strong powers is just go deliver presents to children. Like, when you think about like the traditional Santa Claus mythos, like that's just his job. But the idea of thinking of him as like a mutant, that's not just his job. He just has all these strong powers. And then he made the decision to like, ah, I could do literally anything, but what I will be doing is becoming Santa Claus and taking all these presents to these kids. That's adorable. Does it justify the surveillance though? Oh, sure it does. Absolutely, <laughs> Dad. <laughs> Also, in 1927, the U.S. government issued him a pilot's license. Oh, my God. I love that. (laughs) I love how the United States military is so dedicated to truly collaborating with Santa Claus throughout the years. It's wonderful. It really is. Uh, But also the Canadians do it, too. Both he and Mrs. Claus have uh, Canadian (laughs) e-passports. That's amazing. Wait, what's an e-passport? Um, I don't know. I assume it's like a, some sort of Canadian electronic passport thing. Well, love it. Great work. Terrific. So, do you want to hear about the farming involved with Christmas trees? I can't wait. So, in 2012, which was the most recent numbers I could find, there were 295,000 acres in production for Christmas trees. Is that a which lot? Which equated... I mean, it's not none acres. It is like that's a considerable amount of acres that equated to about 17 million trees being cut in 2012. That sounds like a lot. It's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Christmas trees around the world. There are a lot. The biggest states here in the U.S. for it are Oregon, North Carolina, Michigan and Pennsylvania. Oregon and North Carolina are really like the two big 
heavy hitters. Although the interesting thing about Christmas trees, that is not really the same for any other crops, including flowers, is that Christmas trees are very often procured close to your region just because, one, they're alive. So they need to be taken care of well so that you can have a long Christmas tree life. And two, they're also really big and hard to move. So like flowers are alive and you want to have as long shelf life as possible. But we get a lot of our flowers from like South America and Europe, but they're really, really small. So it's not that hard to move. A giant Christmas tree, very hard to move around the world. So Christmas trees are very often procured within your region. You do have like Oregon supplies a lot of the Christmas trees on the West Coast. North Carolina does a lot of the East Coast. But like here in Texas, a lot of the Christmas trees that we see are just grown here in Texas. Oh, cool. I had no idea. Yeah, pretty cool. There is one I mentioned like Oregon does a lot of the West Coast Christmas trees. There is like one farm that is exceptionally large. I think I think it is the largest Christmas tree farm in the US. It's called Holiday Tree Farms and they do about 1 million trees per year. But still if you think about like 17 million, more than 17 million trees, that's not even a tenth of the market. So, are we going to get into this later like how long does it take to to grow a Christmas tree? Yeah, I yeah, so Christmas trees take like 6 to 10 years usually. So there's this giant farm in the Pacific Northwest that, you know, sort of every six to 10 years, they cut down a giant swath of trees and then plant new ones and then rotate out, I guess, the rest of their acreage over time. So I think what's more common with Christmas tree farming, and I'm sure it depends on the farm, um, is you kind of have what's called like nurserying, where you have like some older growth trees next to smaller trees so that once those older trees are cut down, the smaller trees have room to grow. So it's kind of interplanted and like staggered based on age. Yeah. Okay. The most common Christmas tree types are Fraser fir, Douglas fir, Colorado blue spruce. I think the last year I had a pine tree, which is not represented on the most common, but it was adorable and I loved it. It was a cute little Christmas tree. About three quarters of Christmas tree farms sell retail. As I mentioned, like a lot of Christmas tree procurement is very localized. So like this is a huge amount. I mean, you have about half of Christmas tree farms that do at least some wholesaling, but the majority, like 75% do a good amount of retail. So that is a lot of local sales. So the pop-up tents that sell the Christmas trees, those are basically the people that grew them. Is that what you're saying? So sometimes those pop-up tents are wholesale but sometimes they are just run by farms so like last year i got my christmas tree from a nonprofit here in town where it's like a fundraiser for the boys and girls club and they buy wholesale trees and then sell them here in austin got it but a lot of christmas tree farms do at least some local retail where like you can come out and you can pick your own tree you can cut your own tree down you can pick it out of a pile um, or they like take it into town and they they set up in a parking lot or something like that. There are some like Christmas tree sales cooperatives where some farmers all come together and they rent out a parking lot together. There's a lot of different models, but yeah, it is quite quite localized. Most of those smaller farms are often retirement projects for folks who maybe are from that area and their family has been doing Christmas tree farming or they were a farmer and they want something that's a little bit more hands-off. Not that Christmas tree farming is easy, like there are definitely difficulties with it, 
particularly like the weather. You know, it's real cold when you have to go out there and cut all the trees down. Sure. But like generally you're doing less year round maintenance um, because so many of your your crops are just perennial. Um, A lot of the larger ones are, you know, full time operations, but those smaller ones can be retirement options. Cool. So how much money is in Christmas trees? So wholesale, it's around like between 250 and 500 million. I found a couple of different sources from different uh, extension documents as well as industry publications. And that's about the range I saw. And then for retail, it can be like upwards of $2 billion. So that includes wholesalers who bought Christmas trees from farmers and then sold them retail, as well as farmers selling directly to retail. Christmas is big business. It's big, big business. So I promised earlier that we would talk about this. Let's talk about fake Christmas trees. Okay. So most fake Christmas trees are made of what's called polyvinyl chloride, also known as PVC. You can also get fake Christmas trees made of aluminum, made of fiber optic cable, feathers, etc., etc., kind of whatever. Most of the fake Christmas trees, like most, most of them, are all made in China. How would you like to be a bird and see a fake Christmas tree made of feathers? Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That would be so hurtful, I feel like. Like, That's your home. Yeah. Oh, my God. So... The fundamental question I feel like everyone has when it comes to Christmas trees is like, which is more environmentally friendly, a natural tree or a fake tree? So that's what I wanted to get into here. Okay. So here's like a little bit of the pro-con breakdown. Or first, actually, Dad, I wanted to know, do you guys do a fake tree or a real tree? I don't know. So when we do trees, we've done real trees. Um, We haven't done trees in the last couple of years. Just because, I don't know, effort, I guess. And we need to clear out the space where we would put the tree. I know historically growing up, we always had real trees. Uh, Although later in life, uh, my parents or or maybe just my dad got a fake tree. Um, His parents had a fake tree, I believe, that they would get out every year. And they used it for, you know, 20, 30 years or something like that. So it's it's been a mix for me. Uh, my mom's parents always had real trees. So I, I was most familiar with real trees. Same. Like you said, we always did real trees growing up. I've only had like a Christmas Christmas tree once. Um, I, di- I have like put Christmas tree ornaments on my house plants before, which is how I did it all throughout college and grad school. There you go. <laughs> and then last year was my first year getting like a real actual tree, um, which was really fun. So... Here's kind of the pro-con breakdown. All right. Fake trees are made of plastic. Yep. That requires a lot of oil, right? Because it's what it's an oil byproduct. So that's like a lot of energy, a lot of non-renewable resources. They're also made in China, so it's a lot of transportation. Real trees require agricultural inputs. Typically, this is like a lot of pesticides to keep the trees looking nice. Um, they do also require pruning and maintenance as they live for between six and 10 years. So that's like a lot of work um, and can be a lot of petroleum if that is what is driving the trucks around the Christmas tree farms. Okay. The other big consideration with real trees is where they go at the end of their life. So if they go to the dump, then they just decompose and produce a lot of methane versus if they are taken away and chipped and made into mulch and you know recycled or if they go and do something else where they're not just decomposing in the dump. Turn it into dillo dirt. 
yeah, they can totally be composted for sure. So that's kind of the pro-con. Here is the breakdown. There's not a lot of science, unfortunately, about like truly what is the best option. I found two life cycle analyses and one of them said in order to balance out what you would be like spending in terms of carbon on a real tree versus a fake tree, you would have to keep your fake tree for more than nine years. And the other study I found said more than 20 years. One of the studies was paid for by the Christmas Tree Association of America. And the other one was, I found it linked on the U.S. Department of Energy's Office of Scientific and Technical Information website, but it was done by a French-Canadian research firm who apparently does life cycle analyses, but this is the only study I could find from them. And it was done in like 2016, I think. Uh, And I also couldn't find anything under the names of the researchers other than this life cycle analysis. So these are very different numbers. I cannot say for sure that either of these life cycle analyses are really better than one or the other of them. Neither of them have been cited that much. Um, One of them obviously was paid for by the industry. The other one, I don't know who it was paid for by. So it's unclear which one. Like, I can't just go out and out and tell you. Here's the answer. Here's my thoughts. When you do buy a new fake Christmas tree, unless it's like a wooden balsa wood Christmas tree, it's going to stay on the planet forever, forever and ever. It's not going to go anywhere. If you buy a real tree, it can be decomposed. It can be turned into, you know, wood chip mulch, which we can always use more mulch. Believe me, I know. That's kind of like my take on it. Like my gut is if you have a fake Christmas tree already, no point in getting rid of it. But if you don't have one, and if you can't find a used one that already exists, then maybe we don't need to be creating more that will just stay on the planet forever. Well, that sounds reasonable. Although real trees are certainly getting more and more expensive over the years. But to review, Christmas trees are generally conifers which means they are cone-bearing. And we're linking a cool video. They were like so many things popularized by a queen. And thank goodness Santa Claus is benevolent with all those powers. No kidding. Buy yourself a tree if you like. If not, that's cool. Have a wonderful and warm winter season, everyone. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. This show is made by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at One to Grow On Pod. Or join our Discord and Facebook communities and leave us your thoughts on this episode. You can find all of our episodes and transcripts, as well as information about the team and the show, on our website, onetogrowonpod.com. Help us take root and grow organically by recommending the show to your friends or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. There you can get access to audio extras, fascinating follow-ups, exclusive bonus content, and boxes of our favorite goodies. If you like the show, please share it with a friend. Sharing is the best way to help us reach more ears. Be sure to see what's sprouting in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing.